0: Amen. God is building His church, and we are we're thankful. We we should be privileged to say, God, I I thank you that you've caused me hope, offered me the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing in this community. Amen. Um, we're gonna continue. I want to. I'm gonna take the time to press into this because I think there's some really important things that sometimes we um, get off course. And then continue to just stay off course and never take the time to really stop and really look into something that we assume we know. So we never really find out how off course we might be. That makes sense? Yes. So I want to press into this because there's some things I think that are extremely important for us, vital for us. To understand. And I think the lack of understanding in some of the things we're going to talk about is some of the reasons why the church might be in the condition that the church might be today. I mean, let's face it, for much of the church, not this one, but other churches, there is an anemia. And we have to realize that God wants us to find that life. God wants us to press into that life-giving flow of the blood of Jesus in our life, the the God who supplies and meets all of our needs, coming into that place of personal revelation of what he has and what he does for us. That's my my heart's desire for us as a church. So I'm going to take the time to go through this today. I will think that you probably will find a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today really hard. But I I pray that you'll open up your heart and receive what God has to say to you. You can follow along with me um, as we go through the scriptures. I've got sermon notes that are in the church app. If you just go to media, there's sermon notes, and it'll pull up the sermon notes. You can follow along. You can uh, follow along here. Or if you have your Bible, you can open to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Let me read this scripture to you again, and then we'll... uh, We'll break some of it down. Next week, I'm going to get it. And again, next week, the next, the next portion that I'm going to dive into next week is really interesting. And so, uh, I'll throw that out there as a little tag to get you to come on out next week. Before you go through what we're going to go through today. Now, God's, news, God's word is good news. And I want you to know that even though the word may seem difficult today, it is good news. And I am privileged to share it with you. Verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, so you had all these people, and they're, they're hearing that the John's declaring, and what Jesus is saying, and they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, the, here's the, you've got the religious people and the intellectual people that are rejecting the purpose of God for themselves. They're saying, hey, you know what? It's okay for you, but I don't really need that stuff. I will start right off today. Are you going to go through the sermon today thinking, no, that's all right for some of them, but I don't need that stuff. I want you to know that you, by that response, will find which category you fit into here.
1: Yes, Amen.
0: So the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And in verse 31, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet. Your word is life in us. And I pray today, Lord, that you would allow me to rightly divide the word. That, God, you would help us to rightly hear your word. That we would receive from you today that which you have intended for this time. I pray for open ears. And I pray, Lord, that it would lead to open hearts. And that, God, that would transform our minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for this time, Lord. And I pray, let your will be done. Lord God, let your kingdom come in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So what Jesus says about John is that John is the greatest of, of men, the greatest ever born of woman. That's what he says. So in looking at that, I thought, well, if Jesus said that, and he took out of the scriptures what he wants in these scriptures, and he took the opportunity to fill the page with this to cause verse 28 to be here. There's a reason. Come on, amen? I mean, every scripture has a reason and a purpose. This has a reason and a purpose. God, what is it? And we also know that whatever it is that Jesus has said and fills the pages of scripture is truth. So the truth is, whether you understand it or not, that John is the greatest born of women. So I think that because Jesus took the time to share this with us, we should look at why. I think because Jesus declared this about John that we should find out why. What does he say? What is it that made John so great? It sure didn't look great to me. I mean, he he didn't have, you know, any... He didn't have cool shoes. He didn't have all the nicest suits. He didn't have a good haircut. (laughs) He didn't have the finest meal. He looked like a nut. He looked like a crazy guy. Coming out of the woods with locusts in his teeth. The guy's ministry was pretty short-lived. Ended up in jail. Where Herod cuts off his head. Puts it on a platter and serves it up. I'm sorry, that does not look very great to me. But Jesus said, this is the greatest man ever born of a woman. Why? So last week we started to talk about this. Last week we saw that Jesus was great because he he called people to repentance. Verses... 29 and 30 says this, when, when all the people heard this, they were just talking about how, all the things that Jesus had to say about John, and when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Verse 30, but Pharisees and the lawyers, we get you know, the, these religious people that come along, and they rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So we all know that the ministry of John was a consistent and constant call to repentance. John's ministry was basically, repent, repent, repent. I mean, over and over and over again, day after day. Listen, this is two weeks in a row that I'm talking about repentance. I mean, some of you were thinking about not coming back because I I don't really know that I want to hear that anymore. Come on! I saw you wives looking at your husbands who said that this morning. (laughs) Yes, I mean, but this is the message: repent, repent, repent Repent of your sin. And some people received that message, and some people rejected that message. But whether the multitudes received the message or whether the multitudes rejected the message, John's theme, John's two main themes of his ministry never changed. I mean, I can't imagine if every single week, every single time, I mean, the main thing, everything I talk, sin and repentance. Sin and repentance. It, it really, honestly, as I say it, it's probably not a bad idea. <laughs> Certainly would thin down the church. It certainly would open the seating. Uh, I'm just kidding. But that was his ministry sin and repentance. He stood in the face of an entire nation, he stood in the face of an entire religious system and called out, Repent! Repent of your sin. Oh, you not in the church? Repent. Oh, you in the church? Repent. Amen. This call was to repent. Listen, he said, you have a problem. Yes, you do. Yes, we do. You have a problem, and the problem is sin, and the only answer to sin is repentance. And this is what he was calling out. Well, listen, in every genuine move of God and everything that God gives us as something that we, we need in our lives, that he gives us as something that he calls us to, we will find that the enemy always wants to bring a counterfeit or something to counter what God is doing. He wants to get us off track. And the enemy doesn't care how far off track he gets you. He just wants you off track. I mean, he's okay with you sitting here in church as long as he can keep you off track. Yep, amen. So that's why sometimes it seems kind of rough because, you know, getting back on track is kind of hard. So in this place of, re- of repentance, there's these counterfeits to repentance. And I think that these counterfeits to repentance have snuck into a lot of our lives in a lot of different ways. And when we're walking in a counterfeit of something, it cannot produce the fruit of what the real An anti-counterfeit the reality the real the biblical is so we've been talking we started talking about what some of the things what what repentance is and what it's not in church i I talked about this last week we started in some of these things and i think that for many we saw how uh, we might have fallen for some of those counterfeits we talked last week about how true repentance is not religious repentance It's not where, religious repentance is where I see your sin, but I don't see my own sin. Where I'm not okay with your sin, but I'm okay with my sin. Where I can look down at you without looking into me. True repentance is also not pagan repentance. Where I'm trying to manipulate God to do what is good or to be good. I can't say, okay God, I'm sorry, now you owe me this. Again, you know. Again, I know it sounds so simplistic as I say it, but if you really look into some of the ways in which we deal with our sin, you'll find that a lot of us fall into that category. I may not have used the exact illustration, but fill in the blank. True repentance also is not worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is where we feel bad for what we've done. We feel bad, but we're not going to change. There's, there's this place where, okay, I can feel bad on the outside, but I'm not going to let anything happen on the inside. I'm just going to feel bad. Sorry. It's... This week, I'm going to kind of go through these quickly here. True, a couple of other things that true repentance is not. True repentance is not merely confession. It's not mere confession. Mere confession can be confusing for us as Christians. It's confusing for us because when someone comes and you you, you, you say something to them about something they've done and you confront them and you, you rebuke them or call them to repentance like John does and they say, ah, you know what? You're right. Hey, you know what? That was wrong. What you did to me, what you said to me, what you did to them, what you said to them, what you didn't do, that was really wrong. Oh man, you know what? You're right that was totally wrong. I should not have done that. That was terrible. Oh, I'm so glad you recognized that. Thank you. I'm so good. Let's hug and make everything okay. And then they do it again. Well, wait, I thought you said you were sorry. I was. And I am now. And I will be next week. And I will be the next time I do that again, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be sorry, I'll be sorry every time, and I promise I will, I'll be sorry every time I do it, hey, at least I'm not a hypocrite, at least I'm honest, at least I'm, at least I'm, you know, being upright with you, yeah, you know what, I did bad things, I'm a bad person. But I'm gonna just keep doing it. Some of you, listen, I said this. Uh, some of you are dating that person. Run! Yes, you know, it's that place where you know it's confusing. Hey, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. Ah, oh, you know what? You're right. But then they just keep on doing it. So mere confession is that place where we acknowledge sin without repentance of sin. We're not in real repentance. Number five, blame shifting. Again, a lot of people fall into this category. We deal with our sin like this. Yeah, you know, I know that's wrong. That should not happen. But it's never their fault. It's always someone else's fault. You know, there's a precedence for that. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. All the way back when Adam sinned. And Adam said, This woman you gave me, she's defective. So this is between you and her. It's basically what he said. And there's a lot of men saying the same thing still today. God, this woman that you gave me. Well, she wasn't about to roll over and just take it. The devil made me do it. It was his fault. The devil did it. Look, the truth is, they both had a moral responsibility to deal with their own transgression. Both of them did. And we do this. Listen, we do this. Yeah, you know what? I did. I lost my temper. But they really made me angry. Oh, yeah. You know what it was? It was their fault. They should not have done that. Yeah, you you know what? Yes, I did. I stole from my boss. But I wouldn't have to do that if they paid me better. Hey, you know what? Yes, okay, I cheated on my spouse. But they weren't meeting my needs. Oh, you poor, poor victim. Blame someone else. Oh yeah, I can recognize something's wrong, but never take responsibility for it. Blame shifting. What about minimizing? Minimizing, you know what, what happens is you sin or you, you know, there's someone who sins, you call them to repentance and the first thing you do or the first thing they do is they look for someone who's done something worse. Confront somebody on something they did and it's like, well, at least I didn't kill somebody. Like, that's a big gold star for you. Church, you can always find somebody that's done something worse than you. Yeah. Always. Yep. And we do that. Well, you're a terrible spouse. Well, you should be glad you're not married to so-and-so. Because I heard what they did. <laughs> when all else fails, pull out the Hitler card. <laughs> hey, well, at least I'm not Hitler. You know, like that's a help. Plumb line by which we find good moral standing. Oh, that's really good. Up next to Hitler, you look pretty good. But this is kind of the place in which we go and we minimize. Listen, how many times have we said this? You know, hey, you know what? Okay, I did that, but it's not that big of a deal. Quit making such a big a deal out of it. Why do you have to get so why do you overreact so bad? Why do you blow up like that? What are you freaking out about? It's not that big a deal. Why Why do you have to get so emotional? (laughs) Have we missed any toes yet? (laughs) We got more. (laughs) Minimize. Or there's excuse making. We can acknowledge something. Yeah, I did that. But let me just say this, I also I understand that a lot of people have experienced a lot of rough things in their life, a lot of difficult places, I'm not minimizing that. But when you let what you've been through or what you've gone through or what you've experienced become reason for you to justify your sin or to excuse your sin, then you have not walked in true Repentance. You cannot let past experiences stop you from doing what is right in the sight of God, what God calls you to do. But we do this, we make excuses. Well, you know, yeah, I did that, but you know what? I had a rough upbringing. Or, you know, I did that, but I, I, didn't, I, I didn't know it. I didn't have a good education. My dad didn't hug me enough. Well, I was just born with a personality type of Jerk. Come on, there's a lot of us that, you know, we get to, well, you know what? That's just the way I am. What a terrible, terrible cop-out. You know what? God says you can all change. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The, the real point in saying that is that I know that God says I can do all things that, uh, through Christ who strengthens me. I just don't want to. I don't want to change. And we can make excuses. None of those things, those are counterfeits to real repentance. So, what does real repentance, biblical repentance look like? Look, biblical repentance is more than just an I'm sorry. In fact, biblical repentance is more than just repentance biblical repentance if you look as i've dived into the scripture to begin to really look into all of these things it is a five-fold process we walk through it's something that you know we we get it's not just something in the second that goes on it's this process that we move through it's biblically what we apply in our lives as we start to do this so i'm going to walk through this some of these steps you're not going to like And again, a lot of times what we don't like in Scripture are the things that are hard. That doesn't make it not right. So in this process, the first thing that we experience is conviction. Conviction comes. Conviction starts. Listen, conviction in your life, conviction is a work of God. God brings conviction. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would convict us of sin. John 16, 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and in God's, and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So conviction, if conviction works through our conscience, God begins to work in your conscience. And your conscience can be motivated or convicted in many different ways. Some of us, we can be convicted by the, the moral ways in which God birthed in us there's some of these things that are moral that we received as kids that God gave through our parents to us and there are other convictions that will come as a result of hearing the word of God a friend that might come and 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 bring some rebuke somebody that might come and talk to you about what's going on A, a message like this there are many of you you know what you're going to experience some conviction through what we're going to talk about here today. Conviction comes conviction is that place where you feel it. It's where you know what you know you know you blew it. Conviction it comes from God and conviction will come every single one of you every one of you every one of us have experienced conviction. Otherwise you More than likely would have never been genuine in your "I'm sorrys," but we're talking about repentance, and so conviction comes, which then leads to this place of conviction. But let me say this: in confession, in this place of of uh, conviction, you have a choice. And you have a choice what you're going to do with it. And you can do what the Bible says. The Bible says you can, you can quench the Holy Spirit. You can resist the Holy Spirit. You know, you, you can just resist what He wants to do in you. And, and you can just ignore that. Or you can agree with God. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So you can quench the Holy Spirit and just deny what, you're, what God says about your, what, what you've done or you can come into an agreement with God what they did here they declared God just when they were doing that they were agreeing with God it says in Luke chapter 7 verse 29 they declared God just and that's what they're doing is they're saying God you're God you're right and I'm wrong God you're right and I'm wrong and when we get to that place of that place of conviction it comes then to confession confession is when we begin to declare or talk about it it's when we begin to own what we've done God, so we begin to say, God, you know what? You're right, and I am wrong. The Bible, it says I shouldn't do this, and I did it, and I'm in violation of your word. It says that I shouldn't have done that, and I did it. I should do this, and I didn't. It, it's, I'm, God, you said this, and I am in violation of your word. And God, I want to come into an alignment with you. And I begin to confess those things. I begin to talk with God about those things. Look, confession is when you talk to God about your sin. Confession is when you talk to others about your sin. And I'm not saying, please, I talked about this last week, not saying that you go to the priest, you don't need a mediator. Sometimes you just need some help. And sometimes this place of confession, I just need to come clean. For some, you haven't repented. You've done things and you haven't repented. Your friends, your family, your boss, your spouse, they don't know what you've done. They don't know what you've looked at. They don't know the things that you've said. They don't know what you're doing now. You haven't repented. You're just waiting to get caught. You're just waiting to be found out. And if you never get caught, you never get found out, you're really not ever planning to confess it. Look, this is my exhortation to you, and I know that, that I'll, I'll have a line of people telling me why they should not confess. Yeah. But my admonition to you is confess. Talk about it.
1: Amen.
0: Talk about it. Hey, you know what? These, this is some of the stuff that I need to tell you. I, I need to come clean. I need to have this conversation with you. I need to tell you who I am, what I was doing. I need to be honest. There are some of us that have tried to gloss over things by sharing the tip of the iceberg and totally neglecting the 90% that's still under the surface. Confession is when we talk about sin with God, the one in whom we've sinned against. Confession is talking about sin with people, those whom you've sinned against. In James chapter 5, you will find where the word tells us, confessing your sins one to another. We need to, say, we need to talk about it. It's not saying here in the midst of the church that you need to do, he's talking about confessing our sins one to another, talking about this, getting, you know, some, some help. Not a mediator between you and God, but people that would encourage you to to turn this thing to God or confessing to those in whom you've hurt. It says in 1 John 1, verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is a big little word right there. If. If. If means that you have a choice. You have a choice as to whether you will do this or whether you won't do this. It means that you have the choice. Will I confess or will I not? Church, you gotta talk about it. And it begins with someone. Maybe you can't go to that person right now, but talk to somebody about that. Get some feedback, get some encouragement. And when somebody comes to talk to you about those things, don't just gloss over it and whitewash it. Oh, you poor thing. No, you know what? Praise God that you're bringing this in a place of confession. Now what's God leading you to do with it? What does God want you to do? So there's there's conviction, confession, and confession is when we begin to respond to God. We respond to the conviction that's come. And then we come to repentance. Church, repentance is not managing sin. Repentance is not minimizing your sin. This will be hard. Repentance is, and, and you know, we all, to one degree or another, we all have issues with control. Because we think if we can control something, then it's under control. repentance is not controlling your sin that is not listen hey you know what hey I used to do that every week but now I only do it every three weeks or so (laughs) well you know what I used to do this every week but now you know it's only a couple times a year Hey, I used to do this in this degree and I've ratcheted it way back. You know what? You're you're saying, "Hey, I got it under control." What do you have under control? You have your sin under control? Let me just say Listen, your sin is way worse than you think. Our sin is way worse than we think. Way way worse. And I'll say this, you know, we all like to be opinionated about what we've done and how, hey, it's not that bad. It's not that, you know, look around, it's not that bad. Let me just say, there's a reason, well, your opinion about your sin doesn't matter. That's why God never asked you. How big, how small, how deep, how wide, that's it. God never asks you about your opinion because your opinion about your sin does not matter. God's opinion about your sin is the only opinion that matters. Right. It's the only one that matters. Look, our sin is so bad that God, Jesus Christ, had to die for it. Amen. I don't care what sin. It's sin. Jesus Christ died for sin. Look, my thought is just simple, this. If it's important enough for Jesus to die for, then we need to put it to death. We need to put it to death. If Jesus died for that sin, then that sin must die. Church, we spend way too much time playing with the sin that Jesus died for. We spend way too much time trying to wound what needs to be killed. We'll bring our sin to the altar, and we'll bring it up to the altar, and we'll lay it down at the altar. Yes, I need to lay that down, and we'll lay it down, and then we start to get up and go away, and it's like, give me paddles. Come on. Okay, sin's back to life. And we walk up. You Listen, we, we, we think that we've mortally wounded it. And what do we do? We start giving it mouth-to-mouth resuscitation so that it can come back to life. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus died for your sin so that you could kill it, not play with it. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry if that sounds overly simple. It, isn't, it, it is that simple. It's not easy. Uh, please, I know that. But it needs to die. It needs to be killed. You can't just wound it. You have to kill it. And that's what repentance is. It's when we completely take this here and we turn completely away from it. It's dead to us now. It is dead in my life. No longer am I going to turn. No, no, no. I'm tempted back. No, no, no. I'm not going back there. I'm not going to turn. I'm not even going to look because it's dead to me. And I don't want to look on dead things. I don't want to look at that dead, decaying, rotten thing. I don't want to see it in me anymore. I'm turning my life this way. And I'm turning away i'm putting it to death some of you are playing with sin and you think that it's okay why because i tell god i'm sorry every day put it to death quit playing with it's not listen repentance is not just feeling bad ungodly people feel bad i'm so sorry i shot you It's not just saying you're sorry. It's not just trying harder. It's it's responding to your sin the way Jesus responded to your sin. He died for it. He died to it. He killed your sin so that you could be set free from it. My goodness, church, how brazen to continue to play with what killed him. And, and listen, this was John's whole ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Repent, repent, repent. No, 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 don't play with it, kill it. Repent. That's what he was getting at. Amen. Amen. Oh, no, no, not that typical kind of stuff that you guys are dealing with over here in the religious aspect. No, we need to get here to real repentance. Repent. Repent. And then we come to this place, number four, restitution. Well, I don't like that, Pastor Mark. Sorry. Come on, amen. Amen. Restitution is not penance. Restitution is not paying God back for what you've done. Restitution is just, I just want to do what I can do to make it right. I just want to do what I can do. So if you've stolen, go pay it back. If you've said something or defamed somebody or said something that wasn't true and you hurt somebody by lying about that person, go back to the people you lied to and say, hey, what I said about so-and-so, it wasn't true. I was in sin, I should not have done that. And go do whatever you can do to try to make it right. Because listen, I I mean there are some, I I have had to search my own soul in all of this. There's some of us that have done terrible things, said horrible things, been mean-spirited and done some damage to other people. And, and you can and should tell God how sorry you are. And you, you should and can go tell that person how sorry you are. But if you don't do what you can do to try to fix it, it's like shooting somebody and saying, oh man, I'm really sorry, and not giving them a ride to the hospital. In real repentance, you know what? Yes, there's some, I, I shot you. I am so sorry. Come on, let me do what I can do. Let me pick you up. Let me take you to the hospital. Let me do what I can do to help there be restoration in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Let me do what I can do to make the hurt and the pains that I caused to make those things right. Yeah. Church, we can't just say, sorry, you know what? What I did was wrong. See you later. Good luck dealing with that. Oh, is this step going to be hard? Yeah, are people going to reject you? Absolutely. Does that mean it's not right? Church, restitution is a biblical principle. And it's something that we find in the Old Testament and we find it all the way through the New Testament. I was shocked when I began to look into this, how deeply it went into the scripture and how many references we could have pulled from to talk about the reality of biblical restitution. It is part of biblical repentance. You see that in, in Luke chapter 19, when Jesus, he, there's the chief tax collector Zacchaeus, and he calls Zacchaeus over to him, and they go to Zacchaeus' house, and they're at Zacchaeus' house, and it doesn't even say that anything was said except the presence of Jesus there. It doesn't even talk about it. But all of a sudden, in the middle of this uh, this plant, I mean, there's this revelation that happens in Zacchaeus, and he stands up and he says, and he stands up and he says, "Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor." And if I've defrauded anyone, anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus says, today, salvation has come to your household. Was he saved because of restitution? No. Did restitution come out of a changed and transformed heart? Absolutely. Absolutely. Real biblical repentance needs to include, we try to make this right. I'm gonna try to make this right as as much as I can by the grace of God. I'm gonna do what I can do. I, I was a part of your wounding. I wanna be a part of your healing as much as you'll let me. So there's conviction, confession, repentance, restitution, and then biblical repentance includes reconciliation. I understand the things that have gone on in some of your lives. And I want to be very careful here. I don't want to come across in a religious way It brings more hurt and harm to people. So please hear me. I know that for some of you There's been tremendous abuse, tremendous, horrible things that have happened in many of your lives, and I am not making light of that whatsoever. But I do want you to know that God is bigger than all of that. Was it God's will that that would happen? Absolutely not. Was it God's plan and purpose? Absolutely not. But our God is so amazing and and so wonderful that he can take even those things that were meant as evil, that were perpetrated against you, and God can turn those things in your life and use those things in such a way that sometimes it looks like it was God's will. But I'm telling you, it wasn't. But we do have to talk about this biblical principle of reconciliation, I mean, everything that Jesus did was for this final purpose of reconciliation. What did God? It wasn't just so you could be forgiven. It wasn't just this, It was it was so that there could be reconciliation between you and the Father. Amen. That, that's what this is all ultimately about. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what Jesus did, so that there could be reconciliation. And at this point, this is where God and people are reconciled. But this is also in reconciliation, this is where people and people are reconciled. Because Jesus takes away our sin in repentance, true repentance, he he comes, he takes away all of our sin. And that's where the doors are opened that reconciliation might happen. And again, please, I want to be clear about this. Jesus makes reconciliation possible, not because of you. He makes it possible because of him. It's because of Jesus' death, his burial, and resurrection that he gives you the means, that he gives you the power, that he gives you the authority, that he gives you the will, that he gives you the want to, that he gives you these things for the purpose of the opportunity of reconciliation. Reconciliation. Church, let me again, let me say this. Forgiveness takes one person. Repentance takes one person. Reconciliation takes two people. For there to be reconciliation, it takes two people. So, you know, if you sin, or you know, again, we, we all sin, so you're gonna sin. So when we sin and we sin against somebody, you go to that person that we've sinned against, and then and, and we repent. You know what, I sinned, you may not even know what I've done. You may not even be aware of the things that I've said, the things I've done, the things that I've been looking at. You may not even know what's going on in all this, but I need to tell you who I am. I need to tell you what I've been doing and I need you to know right now that I am in this place of repentance. I am killing it. I am killing that thing. I am no longer turning away and I'm asking for help. I'm gonna stop that. I'm gonna walk in the grace of God and I'm not gonna take these other steps. This thing is dead and I'm not gonna do this again. Listen, that repentance takes one person. Who do you need to repent? Who do you need to repent to? And what do you need to repent of? Who do you need to go talk to? Who is it that you need to make some things known? I swear, This is really hard. You know the problems it's going to cause? Listen, do you know the problems it's already causing? Yeah. <laughs> you have no idea. The problems that those weeds in your field are causing. Yeah. Until you're freed from it. It takes one person to repent. It takes one person to forgive. I forgive you I forgive what you've done I forgive what you failed to do I choose to forgive you that takes one person but there are some of you today that would say well you know what I, I can't forgive them because they've never repented you have to forgive them either way you have to if they are not repentant you have to forgive them if they're repentant you have to forgive them Church, we forgive them either way because that's the only way that we will ever be freed from the spirit of bitterness that wants to infect our hearts like a cancer. So it wants to come in and it wants to affect our lives and it wants to shorten our lives and it wants to disallow us to minister in ways of freedom that God has for us. It's a bitterness, it's a root that gets in and wants to stay there and only forgiveness will cause that bitter root to be driven out. We need to forgive. But the other thing that forgiveness does, church, forgiveness opens the doors of reconciliation. In you, when we become freed from that, when we let go of it, we give this forgiveness away and we allow God to bring that forgiveness into our lives. It allows us to enter into the doorway of reconciliation where we can stand at the threshold and say here I am I'm ready but it takes two to reconcile and if that other person is not walking in a repentant place if that other person is somebody that's hurt you abused you and there isn't a, a fruit a, a, a kind of change in their life where there's evident fruit of that rest, reconciliation takes two and if they're not willing to do that, look, they need to turn from their sin and work, walk back into that place where they come to the doorway of reconciliation. Because church, I am not saying, please, I am not saying that every relationship should be reconciled. I'm not. Because it does take Two. I hope you hear me in this. I'm, I'm trying to be gentle with this whole, the issue where we're, we're, we're wounded and hurt. But we still, even in the midst of your wounding and hurt, have to look at some of these biblical principles that will bring freedom into our lives. And, and as painful as this might be, this is something that we've got to understand if we're going to walk in God's process of biblical repentance. Because what will happen then even if that person doesn't, no matter what happens, if in us there's this change in us, maybe there isn't reconciliation, but it's our heart that begins to pray, God, I pray that you would change their heart. I pray that you would bring them to that place on their knees where they could be healed, where they could be forgiven, and they could find this in them, Lord. But what happens then is that it leaves them to God. It takes the responsibility for what they have done out of your hands and it puts it into God's hands. It's saying, God, I have forgiven them. And now they're in your hands and not mine. And my prayer, God, is that they would repent, that they would change and that they would be transformed. But God, if not, I know that justice will come by you. Mm -hmm. Church, understand this. Our God is a just God. And justice will come. And justice will come for every person. Either through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross as he paid the penalty for your death, for your sin. Or justice will come in hell. But either way, Justice will come. We have to get to this place where we passionately long for that first choice. Look, who do you need to forgive? What have they done? I know some of you say, I can't, I just can't. I can't forgive, I can't forgive them. I, I, I wanna say this lovingly, you must You must. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15 says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And I really felt the Holy Spirit last night really speak into my heart. There are some of you, in your mind, you would say that, and again, I want you to know that this is something that the Holy Spirit wants you to have this is something that he has given as a gift. But there are some of you here today and you would even be saying in your heart, you know what, I, I can walk through that. I cannot forgive myself. I cannot forgive myself for the things that I've said, the things that I've done, the hurt that I've brought, I can't. And I want you to please know I love you, but as spiritual as that sounds, it's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. It's a place where we're saying, you know, God, I know you're the God of the Bible. I know you're the God who created all. I know you're the God who knows the hairs on my head. You know the very depths of my DNA. You know everything about me, Lord. And I'm saying that this God, the God of the Bible, if He forgives you and you will refuse to forgive yourself, you're saying that you're above the God of the Bible? Jesus was on the cross. Father, forgive them. But you would say, you know what? I know he does. I know he forgives. I know, but I I just can't forgive myself. Really, I mean, we're saying, you know what? I am a better small G God than he is a big G God. And it does, church, it comes down to saying you're superior. I know better. Look, you need to repent. You need to repent of your sin. You need to forgive those who have sinned against you. But you can't then say, but I can't forgive myself. I won't forgive myself. It becomes blasphemy to say, I, listen, that, that you're going to hold a judgment against yourself that Jesus Christ died on the cross for. He paid the penalty for that sin, for that issue that you're struggling with. He paid the penalty so that you could be restored. He gave you the ability to forgive others, to be forgiven, and he gave you the ability to forgive yourself. Amen. If Jesus forgives you, church, listen, there is no higher God than that. There is no higher God than that. And if there is no higher God than that, and this God Jesus says, I forgive you and releases forgiveness into my life, who am I to say or have the right to say that I'm above Jesus and I'm going to withhold this forgiveness from myself? Jesus paid the penalty for you. His death and resurrection was for you. Worship team, come on back up, please. This is, again, this is all just so important. This is serious stuff. But I want you to know that repentance is not an obligation, it's a gift. Yes. Thank you, Lord. It's a gift that God has supplied. Is the process hard? Yes, but it's a gift that He's given for you and for me and for each and every one. Jesus here, he declares John the greatest man ever. And it's, again, one of the reasons he just continually called people to this place of repentance, repentance, repentance. He cut through, listen, he cut through all of the cultural counterfeits. He cut through all of the noise. He cut through all of the religious nonsense. And he got right to the root. He got right to the bottom of it all. He didn't settle for something counterfeit. He didn't settle for religious repentance or pagan repentance or worldly sorrow or minimizing or excuse making or confessing or blame shit. He didn't settle for any of those things. John said no. Repent of your sin. He laid the axe to the root of the problem. He wasn't going to let them deal with what was just the fruit. He was going to make them get to the root. And he does that. And he's calling them to this place of doing this with a furious kind of courage. I see John just being so courageous and out there like a warrior standing against sin fighting and battling the way God has called him to fight and to battle and church he's calling you and I to do the same thing he's calling us into a spirit into a place into this walk of repentance where we walk this out with him where we do this so that we can be free so that we can be cleansed so that we can be acts to the root of what the problem in our life is He is supplying you and I with death. Listen, all sin leads to death. Do you know why God calls you, me, to repentance? Because He loves you. And He longs to see the fullness of that relationship restored. He comes all those ways so that there can be reconciliation and he gives us this gift of repentance that we could enjoy that we could experience in the fullness of what he has for us and and all of this this is the greatness of John this is why and the Bible says this in this account that we read we see that some people listen to the message and they received it and they went down to the river and they got wet they showed in an outward physical way the manifestation of their decision to receive and there were those who rejected that day there were those who wouldn't go to the river in their religiosity they said oh, that's okay for them those people there but for me I, I'm, I'm okay okay I don't, I don't need the river. I don't need to go to the river. Church, we have a divine moment. And in this divine moment, we either are going to receive or reject what God is offering. Those who went to the river and those who refused to, all they did was just begin to commend themselves and defend themselves what's going on in your mind right now we have this moment this divine moment this opportunity to make a decision for ourselves and and, and just simply this will you go down to the river or will you sit back and argue argue that you don't need it you declare God to be just by declaring that you are unjust and in need of the sacrificial death of Jesus to bring justice for your sin? Man, you know, when you start looking at it all this way, now you see why people had such a virile response to John. And in that time, there was, you know, there was only two camps there. there was, and, and this is where I think we should be. There were those people that loved John and his message. And there were those who rejected John and his message. But the one thing nobody could do, and I pray that this be for each and every one of you, the one thing that nobody could do was ignore him. You can make a choice one way or the other. But you came to church today. And the one thing you can't do is ignore what the Lord is saying to you. Church, that's, that was the greatness of John. So what will you do with the message that God's speaking to your heart today? Will you pray with me? Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray for the heart, for the spirit, for the strength of true biblical repentance in the hearts of your people. That God, we would feel, experience, and know the conviction that you are bringing into our hearts for the things you're bringing to remembrance. That God, we would have the strength to confess, to make those confessions one to another, to find people that we can speak with, people that would would, would walk us through this. To, Lord, Go to those that we have sinned against and make confession so that there can be true repentance. Lord, let us be a people that stop playing with sin. And start killing it. That we could realize the need for restitution. That we could make right, Lord, that, Lord, you would provide reconciliation. A divine move, God. And even for those who are struggling in themselves, about themselves, for themselves, let them find clarity today, Lord. Clarity to you. From you. Have your way, Lord. Take a moment. What will you do with the message and what God is speaking to you? Lead each one, Lord. Lead each one. You need to lay something down at the altar. Man, you come lay it down, but don't resuscitate it. Don't resuscitate it. If you need to go to somebody, make sure that you make a commitment that I'm not going to leave these doors without this decision in my heart that I'm going to do what's right in your sight, Lord. What do you need to do with what God has spoken to your heart today? Don't be in a rush. Take the time to let God deal with you. If you need the altar, the altar is open. condemnation over those things. It's God's grace that walks us through that. And it's not to bring condemnation. There may be some conviction, but it's places where God wants us to have this as his way through. So I love you. I pray God bless you. So go be the church. Church is not over. Church is about to begin. Go be the church. God bless you. Have a beautiful day
1: today. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over.